Hello, hello. Welcome to the Pava Show. Today, my guest is my partner in crime, Andrew Green. <sighs> Andrew, yes, of course. I wanted to have you on the show to talk about behavior change because we've been talking a lot about it. Um, so in many ways, and we were talking about this last night, in many ways, behavior change and habit formation go hand in hand. So how do you define the two and the relationship between them? If there is one. Right. So the first thing is thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate it. I think this is an awesome medium that we can have a conversation and if it's useful, people can, you know, listen in and gain something from it. Um, and the second thing, which is something that I've been really grappling with lately is that when we talk about something relating to humans and we're really getting almost theoretical with it, because the human being is a complex system, we have to use representative models that are only in our heads to try to describe what's going on when somebody does something. So as a personal trainer, right? I work with the movement system to induce behavioral change so that people can see the changes in their physiology, right? And so they feel better or they look better or they, something clicks, right, in their system. But the best I can say is that I did something that allowed them to access a different part of their physiology that they weren't able to access before. It's the best, that's the best I can say about what's going on because the human system is just so complex. So we're only dealing with representative models. And then the question becomes is like, how precise is the, the model for something like human behavior? And then once you figure out what the model for human behavior is and how it fits into the human schema, then it's like, okay, how do we go about changing it? Because that's really what people want to know is like, how do I become a better version of myself and do the things that I wish I was doing? So in my eyes, in the Western world, we've sort of operated on this idea of mind-body dualism for a very long time, which is this idea that there's the body and then there's the mind or the brain thoughts, right? And there's somehow a separation between the two. Now, what's interesting is that there is some physiological uh, evidence that could support that other than just our own like, you know, egos saying like, oh, I am this and I am that. So things like the blood brain barrier um, actually makes it so that the brain has a relatively constant flow of blood. It doesn't change that much. Um, regardless of what we're doing. And so there's some interesting stuff where it's like, okay, we have, very, we have a very complex cognitive faculty as human beings, but we operate in the Western world, right? Not, this is not like an Eastern thing at all. Um, under the assumption that there's mind and there's body and they're somehow separate, so dualism. And the reality is the re representative model will tell us that that's not even close to the case. So, right. Uh, because the mind likes to separate things and put them into neat little boxes. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, everything's connected. 
Right. So, so one thing I like to think about is, is if somebody really thinks their mind is like some outside phenomenon, um, just picture like if I took a hit from a meth pipe right now, how that would change my ideas, my attitudes, my personality, everything about my brain, my mind, quotation marks, right? Because of the physiological change that's happening. Right, so that's the chemical what's... itself. Exactly. So that's, that's what's happening to human beings all of the time, except for we have a neurochemical soup. We don't have like necessarily, right, a certain drug going through us. We have a physiological state that then, as part of its sort of apparatus, produces mental activity, thoughts, right? Rather than we have thoughts that, that somehow achieve realization of what we should be doing, and then we can start enacting the behaviors. And I think this is really important to go into because even in the way that people speak about something like behavior change, their representative model is that you figure out what to do and then you do it. But the reality is much closer to you do things and then you become a certain type of person and then you continue to do more and more of those type of things. Wait, so pause. So, because in my experience, yes, I did have to think and figure out what to do and then I did it and then I changed so it was like it's almost like a snake that eats itself because it's like I figured out what to do then I did it and yes then the behavior changed but I did stop start with figuring out what to do and you were saying that it's the opposite so would you agree that when you were figuring out what to do that you were enacting a behavior of being reflective and being objective and sort of zooming out, creating distance between you and what you're doing. So you're saying that my, my reflection, my thinking itself was doing. Absolutely. In a way that it was, I changed the behavior of thinking in the first place and changing my thinking. Right. Because again, we're, we're operating on a representative model. So the best, right. If you're, if you're looking at a 24 hour camera recording of yourself, right. The, the best guess is she's doing things and what are those things, right. That's a sober perspective of yourself, or at least as close as we can get, right. Is, is seeing like, wait, what am I, what am I doing moment to moment? Okay. So, so wait, moment to moment. I, I, these days I am spending a lot of time meditating. So I guess from the outside, it does look like I'm doing nothing, but I am doing something. Right. Okay. So, so then this, this um, gets to a point that's kind of really solidified for me recently because of, you know, mentors and um, a lot of thought leaders helping me to see this. Basically you are your physiology, right? So physiology being like the neurochemical soup that makes up your body. So we could talk about any organ system. We could talk about the way it feels because that's the best we can do sometimes. Is simply just, it, it's basically just a collection of food, right? 
that is doing its best to adapt to the way that you behave. It's, it's, that's what the, the body is just a collection of food that's figuring out, well, how do we adapt to what this person is doing? It's not the other way around that it's, um, it is making us behave that certain way. It's a, you're saying instead it's adapting to how we behave. I think that that is a great, a great question because I think that you could make an argument also that there's a loop in the opposite direction, especially when it comes to things like our genetic encoding, right? And then like how the ancestral memory and the way that reflects in DNA affects our behavior, right? But the hardest part of change, this is Joe Dispenza that says, that said this, is not doing the same thing that you did yesterday. And that's really the, the way, as, as far as I can see, the way that human beings enact their physiology. So the way that they feel, the visible things like muscle and tension patterns, smiling, face, it's all a reaction to, let's, we can put genetics in there, but also to the sum of the behaviors that they're doing day to day. So when you meditate, right, and you do long meditations, you're able to relax your face and relax your being to a point where when people talk to you, they see that they're talking to you, not to some sort of fabrication that's trying to put on a front. And so- okay, Wait, wait, wait. But like, can we really say that? Can we really say that those people feel like they're talking to me? Uh, I would say so. I mean, I, I, would, say, I would say that you're, you're relatively real. That's why people like talking to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to take it in that direction, I get what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah. All right, go on, go on. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like the devil's advocate questions. So, but but again, this gets back to the Western conception of the way things work. So the Western conception is. I have a disorder, which some people very well may, right? There's some serious genetic disorders. There's random stuff that happens that we can't really account for the same way that we can't fully model human behavior with our tiny little brains. Um, but for the most part, it's the body's trying to support what you're doing. So if we think evolutionarily, right, that's probably the best way to describe natural selection and the way that organisms adapt over time is that there's this accumulating memory of what needs to be done for survival, what needs to happen in order for me to be able to navigate the environment and then produce offspring. And then we, we talk about evolutionary fitness as somebody reproduces and then they can continue to play the game of life. Humans were not that special because we think that it's, it's up here in the brain, right? We think that this is who we are and that the concepts that we come up with that kind of chop the world into bits are the ultimate reality. But really, we're no different. Our physiology is trying to adapt 
to what's going on. And so wait, pause. So yeah. like, okay, so I know you really well. So well, I have to bring this up. You said humans are not special. Sure. But you do believe from our previous conversations that humans are special. Right. So representative model, right? So if we if we if we're talking about human beings as as being an evolutionary success, then we are special because right, we have these cognitive faculties, we have an extra layer of our brains um, that allows us to abstract and imagine, right? And that's what Yuval Noah Harari talks about in Sapiens, the fact that our imagination is what sets us apart. Yeah. Uh, and that we've come up with imagined realities. Yeah, I see, definitely. okay. Definitely, like even us having this conversation right here, it's, we're calling it a conversation, but I could just take my computer and chuck it at the wall and everything breaks and it's done, right? If I wanted to, but I'm deciding to imagine that this is a conversation for the duration of our time talking, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so because we have these immense faculties of imagination um, and because Western society teaches us a certain brand of materialism, uh, and consumerism, we start to believe that we are a certain way and that there is a very defined, this is who I am. And that's not the way it works. And one of the most powerful ways that you can become something transcendent relative to where you are right now, right, is simply to figure out how can I enact behavioral change in my life. And I think it's important in the context of this discussion, because we're talking right about, in some sense, we're talking about your transformation as well. It's like you, you enacted the behavior of calmness and quietness and you, you, your behavior was, I'm going to turn off everything and be completely still. And then your body has been catching up. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, I see. We don't need to produce the hormones of stress. We don't need to continually <laughs> create the, the furrow in her brow. We don't need to make up things, tell lies. Uh, I see what you mean. Like, yes, a lot of people say, um, in fact, I've even read quite a bit of research on this, is that if, you, if you're feeling down, smile. Smile and it will start making you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. So is right. that what you mean? Like enacting the behavior first? So, so yeah. So I had a, I had a good moment. Um, like yesterday, two days ago, something. Anyway, these, these, these moments happen fairly frequently. So I, I've started to make these shorts on YouTube and Instagram because um, essentially I've been figuring out how do I create content and, and actually provide value to people who aren't just my clients. Um, and I was trying to make really short content first, like way back when, just tiny little blurbs on Instagram, shirtless pics, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, no big deal. <laughs> I was like, this, this isn't me. Like, this isn't the road I want to go down. And then I went in the opposite direction, right? And ended up trying to create really long videos, but there were technical difficulties. There's things that I need to attend to with my clients that it's just not in the cards right now. So I started to make these shorter videos. And it occurred to me yesterday um, that I could promote it on Instagram by doing a reel, right? It, or um, a story. There it is. 
by doing a story. <laughs> and the initial thing that popped into my head was, what are you doing? You don't do this. And then the sort of awareness popped in and it was like, you don't want to do this because you haven't done this in a very long time. So just do it. And now it's second nature. I did it this morning. Like I just, I just made another little self-promotion because again, we think, we think that we know what we want and that we are in control somehow. The we that we're constructing in our heads is in control, but our physiology is reacting to what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, Wait, so what yeah. this is bringing up for me, sure. is like, so what do you have to say about imposter syndrome then? Because like, yeah, when we... I guess at first we all like, we'll tell ourselves like we can do this. And then that voice is like, what are you doing? We don't do this comes up. Is that imposter syndrome? Hmm. I think that that, if I understand what imposter syndrome is, are you saying that it's a, um, are you saying that imposter syndrome is you are given responsibilities and you don't feel like you're in the position to actually enact them or what are you talking um, about? Yeah, like in a way, in a way, it's just, I think it's like your ego being like, you're not good enough for that. Mm. Um, but also like to keep tying back to behavior change, sure. is that you've never enacted that behavior before. So yes, then your ego steps in. It's like, no, what are you doing? We don't do that. Right. But then yeah. you step in whatever you means. Right, right. And so this is where, again, we're, we're trying really hard to understand something very complex and we're both butchering it, right? We can't get it right. Yeah. But behavior includes thinking and feeling because, right, like, like if I'm happy, if I'm engaged in a conversation, you can most likely tell unless you're completely divorced from the situation, right? You can tell because that will reflect in my face, right? And then the brightness in my eyes. And so behavior includes feeling, thinking this, the, right? We, we were reading about um, in the Chinese face reading theory, how people who concentrate quite a bit, and this is not like a good or a bad thing, their eyes begin to narrow towards the bridge of their nose, right? And so they start to habitually narrow their focus. Whereas the theory goes, if the eyes are separated so substantially from the middle of the nose, that's somebody who doesn't like details as much as they like looking at the big picture, right? And that's more, that's more ambient vision, right? There's, there's focusing on one thing, which is narrowing of the eyes, looking at your nose right now. And then there's ambient vision, which is I can will myself to stop focusing on you and my eyes start going that way. And I'm big picture. There's more of a panorama happening in my oh, okay. I see. Um, so what you're saying is that uh, your face can change essentially if you change your behavior because your face is reflective of your behavior. Changes moment to moment. Okay. Um, which in this book she says it is where they did the they did um, her class of women yeah. did an experiment on being more sensual and feminine and they started growing widow's peaks yeah right 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 like really quickly it's kind of crazy yeah so would you say you are your behavior i think 
It's a good question. So I think if we look at if we look at it a uh, person, so we're doing a case study on PV, right? If I am trying to understand who you are, I could either decide, right? I could decide I'm going to look at what she does or I'm going to look at what she tells me. Let's, let's just say that those are the two options, right? And so you could tell me any number of things about what you think and feel, right? And then and, and like the depths of your psyche and all this stuff. And it could all be BS because what the behavior that you enact in life is to be all talk and right and and to, and, and to think that what's going on in your head is really special right it, that could totally be you and so i think if the two options are what does somebody tell me right because this, this is the only we can access the human physiology only in so many ways um if we're looking at another person or I can choose to just look at what she does. That's a, to me, that's a way better option because it's more representative of who you are. And, right? um, and then if we want to talk about like, you know, the ultimate reality, like what, <laughs> what fuels our physiology to even operate in the first place, that's beyond the limits of my understanding. But in terms of like you being a representation of consciousness in an embodied form, I would look at, what you do and not because like oh let's see how much money she makes right or like let's see uh you know like who is she it's, it's more like how does she present herself and, right and it's like oh she donated to the whatever that children's society right it's like she oh, does yeah. generous she's generous like what does she do yeah guys think, uh, yeah just for the listeners supporting children in ecuador that's where it's at real quick hey. <laughs> okay quick, quick plug <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i think that i think it's it's like if we're really in a mode of looking at who is someone what they do is the best we can get in terms of like their individuality what they do and then you start to see that just kind of as almost a tangential point you start to see that in the way that they carry themselves in a conversation, right? And in the way that they almost like don't align when they're telling you something or they do align when they're telling you something. So, yeah. I see. Knowing this is your framework, how do you how do you enact behavior change? Like, what is your process? Like, give me an example of a time that you successfully changed your behavior. Sure, sure. So this is, first of all, I am not an expert on this. Nobody is, right? Because the moment we start saying, like, I am the behavior change expert, it's like, now you're being the behavior change expert and you're zoning in on something, right? Yeah. So just let me preface this by saying that I'm by no means an expert. I'm riddled with flaws. Uh, but recently, what has been very helpful for me, I'll, I'll go through a couple things if that's all right. Go for it. So I have to do a quick plug for the practice of meditation and specifically what's called mindfulness meditation. But 
it's a terrible word for it because it's not mindfulness. It's because the mind, again, that's the, the thoughts running on repeats. Uh, much more like just presence, just learning to just be and observe. Would you say it's my nothingness? Because <laughs> I wouldn't say it's mindlessness either. Uh, I see. I would just not use the word mind. Hmm. Or, or, or maybe, maybe we could say no mind. Perhaps a discussion for another time, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my meditation practice, uh, it's, I guess it's been a little over two years now and recently deepened quite a bit. Um, but what meditation allows me to do is to be like a child almost and look at myself through the practice of, of looking at my thoughts and observing my physiology and kind of expanding the possibilities. It allows me to notice when I'm doing things that I probably don't want to do <laughs> that, that, that I, that I want to do because of my unconscious patterning, but then I can catch myself and be like, that's not helping me because with these goals, this is not helping me. And right. you attribute this to your meditation practice where you give yourself time to basically observe yourself and your thoughts and therefore your behaviors. hundred percent. And then to not take myself as a concept so seriously. So like, so like one thing I've started to do with my personal training practice, which has been very successful recently is actually spend a lot of time just moving around and exploring movement rather than having a set routine. And so like before this call, I was just like, I was just playing around in there, just like moving my shoulders and moving my spine and just like looking in the mirror and being like, wait, what happens if I do this? And what happens if I do that? You know, obviously safe to fail experiments doesn't hurt. And that's a different way of approaching something like fitness that can be very rigid and like, this is exactly what I'm doing. Right. And I have to stick to this routine for four weeks. So I think the, one of the most important places to start is not meditation per se, but how can life become more meditative, become more, more just still and aware and, not so serious. Like I was laughing at myself earlier uh, and I don't remember why. It seems meditation was one of the habits you successfully formed using this model in a way. Okay. Yes. So that's a great lead into the next point, I think. So this is something I gained from Tiny Habits, which is I think by BJ Fogg of Stanford. Anyway, this guy's a lab at Stanford. Uh, and he created this book called Tiny Habits. And basically he's talking a little bit about what I'm talking about. I think his thought has influenced me, um, where people think, okay, I want to change. So naturally the question is where should I start? Right. And the mistake that people often make is picking something that's way too big and lofty compared to where they are right now. So if I'm eating McDonald's for three meals every single day, right. And I want to start becoming a healthier person, I might come up with a mental representation of what healthy means. 
that's like I eat chicken and spinach for every single meal, right? And then there's nothing else that I eat. And I will fall flat on my face. Like it, like even if if the motivation is really, 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 really high, maybe I can do it. Maybe like I almost died. But most likely I'll fall flat on my face and then I'll be like, this health thing isn't for me. So that's just a crazy absurd example where this guy, BJ Fogg is pointing out that people do much better when they say, okay, I have a goal, which is, let's just say it's to become more healthy. Okay. And then I look at my day and I say, okay, these are some unhealthy things that I'm doing. I mean, at least as far as I can tell. And then what can I do? What little thing can I do that I would want to do that I actually like when I see, I'm like, Ooh, let's start doing that. That would actually help me to enact a healthier mode of being over time. Right. Because according to this framework that we're operating on, the things that you do just inform your physiology. So if I, if I go from eating McDonald's three meals a day to like just drinking a glass of water in the morning and then, I don't know, eating some eggs for breakfast, I don't know what people's framework for healthy is, then I will start to set a loop in motion, most likely, that is me just looking at my health and being more observant of what I do day to day, as long as that's something that I really want to do. But maybe it has to start with a glass of water. Maybe it has to start with like, I really like bacon. And at least it's not a Big Mac. So I'll eat bacon instead. I'll figure, figure out a food that I like. But that's the whole framework of tiny habits is like, start small, start with something that you like, so that there's not this huge activation energy every time you do it and then create a prompt. So some sort of reminder that, that helps you to do this. And I'm terrible with prompts and, and I try my best. It's like when I have a to-do item, like I've learned to just like you, like just write down to be's, to be uh, sort of items rather than to-dos because I don't have that many things going on. It's just more like there are a few focuses in my life that needs to be attended to. And mm -hmm. if I think more about like, oh, I need to be a business owner. I need to be, I need to be a uh, partner, right? A good partner. And I need to remember that I'm not that special. Like those are the things, then that helps me to be more social and more, I don't know, receptive. Then I start enacting those behaviors. Um, so that's what, so that I have my own way of doing prompts that is by no means perfect. Mm. See, accountability really helps for me. Like, mm -hmm. so one of the habits that I formed that started off with a to be was that I wanted to be more conversational and I wanted to know a lot more information because, you know, what I know is not enough. I, there's always more to be learned, guys. <laughs> it's an addiction. <laughs> uh, and I realized I learn best having discussions with other people. Okay. And so I was like, okay, well, I want to start reaching out to friends. But then I wouldn't do it. I was like, okay, um, I also want to start a podcast. What if I 
started a podcast and invited friends on. And this way I knock out two birds with one stone and my friends hold me accountable, essentially, you know, a lot of people out there unknowingly hold me accountable <laughs> for forming this habit, which is kind of selfish. But also at the same time, I was like, if I record this, then people could benefit from it. Yeah. And now I love doing these. These are, it's one of my favorite things to do. I look forward to it. This is my, a creative outlet for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so it's like you figured out something that would be good for you to do that you would like to do. Right. And, but had you not, right. Had you not meditated, you might and, and meditated for a long period of time and routine stillness. You may have not been able to catch yourself when you had that self-doubt of like, Oh, who are you making a podcast? And like, nobody's going to want to listen and like, Oh, two views on the first one. Right. <laughs> so, so it, there, there's, there's having a process like a tiny habits framework, which I think is very helpful because just pick things that you want to do. It makes life so much easier. You don't have to be like at odds with reality. Um, and then, but then also having a, a process for just being receptive and understanding that ultimately life is a process of change and you get to pick whether you want positive change that helps you expand your definition of self and your social network and the way that you feel, or if you want to choose a more narrow focus that maybe doesn't serve you as much, um, at least in your own sense of well-being. It's like, that's a decision that we get to make. doesn't mean that it's easy, but if the framework is that behavior leads to some confirmation of this physical matter that is favorable to your experience, then that's much more empowering than the opposite. Well, so Andrew, I, if people want to find out more about what you're doing and your framework for behavior change, where can they find you and your content? Sure. So I have a website that I just published like a few days ago, very bare bones, but um, it's green gains. So green with an E gains, like muscle gains, that kind of thing, uh, .com. And the main effort actually these days goes into uh, creating content on Instagram, which would be green, again, green with an E, underscore gains, um, that's the handle, and also a YouTube channel just called Green Gains, two words. Um, and what I started to do recently is create content that's much more just delivering like the client experience to a person rather than trying to make a really long video and so um, i'll continue to make videos like that so if you want to subscribe it's maybe something useful for people who are into exercise um and then yeah who knows i could pop up again on this medium <laughs> who, who knows? knows all right well thank you so much for coming on this was awesome cool i'm glad yeah i think a lot of people will benefit from this conversation I hope that I didn't say too many stupid things. <laughs> no, you were good. Maybe, maybe like three or four.